the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you ready for some baseball? Well, you have to be ready for anything that gets you out of the house and back to normal. I know that. And, and looking at what's happening with sports, I think, even though this isn't a sports show per se, I, I think looking at what's happening with sports is a good way to judge how close we are to getting back to normal. And uh, uh, based on what's going on, I'd say uh, not very. Major League Baseball owners came up with a proposal today that they'll present to the players tomorrow. And also, by the way, Dr. Fauci had some things to say about football that makes it sound like normal is a long way off. And we'll get to that in our second half hour. But let's look at the baseball plan. The season would start around the 4th of July in regular ballparks without fans, no fans. Spring training would start in the middle of June. There would be 82 games for each team. Teams would play only against teams in their division and teams in the geographical division of the opposite league. In other words, National League Central would play against National League Central teams and American League Central teams, and that's all through the whole season, regular season. National League Central against American League Central. But this all hinges on the Players Union agreeing to a revenue split that's based on pro rating and blah, 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 that's never been seen before, and the players have never been um, interested in reducing the amount of money they make. Anyway, the postseason would be 14 teams with four wild cards in each league. In other words, it would be a joke. It wouldn't be a real baseball season. And as I wrote in my column at TribLive.com yesterday, and you can see it at TribLive.com, by the way, uh, games without fans will stink, no matter the sport. But forget about sports. They're meaningless compared to what really matters. You know, like people being able to go back to work and people getting their lives back, but if, the, if, if it's the middle of July, by the middle of July, uh, let's just imagine we're in the middle of July, two months from now now, that is, the government is still not allowing people to fill stadiums. If that's the case, what else are we not going to be allowed to do? Will we be sitting down and eating a meal in a restaurant by then? Are we still going to be wearing masks when we go into the uh, supermarket? Are kids going to be kicked off fields and kicked out of parks? I heard a story just the other day of a bunch of kids being kicked off a field uh, because the neighbors called and they'd seen them playing and uh, older kids, like teenagers, uh, playing some kind of a game, a pickup game, and they were somebody called the Gestapo and they were kicked off the field. Uh, and if we're not allowed to fill stadiums, stadiums in July, uh, when will we be allowed to fill stadiums? What are they waiting for? Now, weren't we told it was about flattening the curve? Uh, what's it about now? I mean, I think the curve has been is flattening, isn't it? What is it now? Is it eradicating the disease? Uh, people just aren't going to put up with this insanity for two more months. I can't believe it anyway. I just can't believe they will. And if leagues have to play games with no fans, that will be the least of our problems. We'll have more of this uh, on this in our second half hour uh, about sports. Uh, we'll talk, tell you about football. But how about this for a plan? This is just a plan, okay? Play a game and let the fans come. Tell older people, you know, over 60, 65, especially overweight ones with underlying conditions, that it probably wouldn't be a good idea for them to come to a place where there are going to be thousands of people. And then tell the people who do show up that it probably wouldn't be a good idea to spend any time with grandma and grandpa for a while after you go to a game. And for that matter, if you're young and you're out there living, you know, a normal life, you know, maybe your grandpa and, uh, and grandma are going to have to just settle for FaceTime for a while, okay? They're the ones in danger, and the proof of that is what's been happening with nursing homes, and that's where the center of the pandemic is, and that's what we're going to look into when we come back. Nursing homes. Stick around.
Let's welcome Jeremy Kemp. Hope comes home with I Still Believe. You can watch it now at FamilyWatchNight.com. From the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes the uplifting true life story of Christian music megastar Jeremy Camp. I'm supposed to be with her. I can't explain it. I just know that. Jeremy's hope and faith are put to the test when tragedy strikes. You're going to be healed. What if I'm not supposed to be healed? Don't say that. I Still Believe is an incredible story of musical stardom, the heights of love, the depths of loss, and the healing power of the human spirit. One love can change your life. You chose willingly to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. Witness the true story of Christian music star Jeremy Camp and his journey of love and loss that looks to prove there is always hope. Starring K.J. Appa, Britt Robertson, Gary Sinise, and Shania Twain. Own I Still Believe on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital now from Lionsgate at FamilyWatchNight.com. That's FamilyWatchNight.com. We're Diamond and Silk, and we have a new book coming out called Uprising. The Awakening of Diamond and Silk. No one we grew up with could have dreamed of what we have been able to accomplish. Our mother was born in poverty to share property. She was living the American nightmare. So for us, the American dream meant not only the freedom to find love, and follow our faith. Freedom meant not letting anyone else define who we are, what we can do, or who we should vote for. In Uprising, we talk about the world we grew up in and what led us to rebel against that world. And how rebellion led us to speak out on politics and reach millions of viewers and how you can reach others too. You've seen us and you've heard us. Now read all about us in Uprising. Uprising by Diamond and Silk, coming August 18th. Pre-order at Amazon or wherever books are sold. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to our listeners. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener specials. You're going to see some amazing offers. Right now, MyPillow is offering an exclusive radio special. Today, they're offering buy one, get one free on a variety of their amazing products, including the Supima MyPillows, MyPillow towels, roll-and-go anywhere pillows, duvet covers, Giza pillowcases, bolster pillows, and neck pillows. Plus, if you buy Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, you'll get free shipping and a $25 gift card. Just go to MyPillow.com and enter promo code STAG or call 800 716 8087. Be sure to use promo code STAG. MyPillow is answering the call for more face masks as the country continues to deal with the global coronavirus pandemic. They'll be making face masks for hospitals across the country. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Genesis 950 with water breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can even be used in a carpet cleaning machine. And it's green, so it's safe for your family and pets. Before you purchase new carpets, you must try Genesis 950. It's made in America. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's a disinfectant that kills viruses. It can be used on surfaces and floors by mixing one-third Genesis 950 with two-thirds water. Apply to surface and clean with fresh water. It's great for floors, bathrooms, kitchens, garages, grease stains, wheels, tires, decreasing engines, and upholstery. It's available on on Amazon. However, if you order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com, you'll receive a free spray bottle and discount using code SALEM. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. Code SALEM. You're listening to the John Stagger Show on AM 1250. The answer. More and more every day, it looks like the story when the uh, coronavirus nightmare is over. Uh, the big story, anyway, is going to be about nursing homes and how and why so many people died in them while the government was kicking kids off basketball courts and kicking mothers out of parks. Chris Pope of City Journal says that nursing homes are the real center of the pandemic. That's the headline of his piece, and Chris joins us now. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me on. So uh, people who live in these facilities are vulnerable because of their age, but it's a lot more than that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in, in normal times, nursing home residents uh, account for a large share of deaths. But the way nursing homes are set up really makes them pretty prone to this disease in particular. 
people are going in and out of facilities. This is a high-touch environment. We're talking about people who often have advanced stages of dementia, lots of real needs getting out and about, performing the everyday activities like brushing their teeth, eating, uh, getting out of bed, uh, using the bathroom. It's really hard to socially distance in that kind of environment. Yeah, I have a 99-year-old aunt that lives in a home, and um, and she eats dinner with the same three women every night. And they're and they're they're pretty uh, they're, they're they're all sitting close together in in the uh, in the dining hall, and that's uh, three meals a day. And you know, so the whole population is in there. I don't know what they're doing now if they're you know if they've changed that because we're not allowed to go see her. But I, I know what you're saying. If you go to a, visit a, a, a nursing home, you'll see that the, they're, every meal, they're, they're jammed together. Uh, so it would be a problem, though, if middle-aged people were forced to live in that environment, wouldn't it? I think I mean, that's right. I, I think it's the coming together of these two different vulnerabilities, the fact that because of their age, they're really vulnerable, medical conditions as well, and then also just the nature of the situation. Yeah, so, so, I mean, what they're doing is against, what they do on a regular basis is against everything we're being told not to do. Uh, that's six right, feet apart that's right. And, and then it's also worth remembering that we're talking about people who are, who, have re, re, who are really sick, who are going to hospital in and out quite frequently. They're seeing their doctors quite frequently. They need ongoing treatment for, for metachronic conditions. And so not only are you sort of, in a home, in a vulnerable situation, but you're probably going to hospital. And then also the uh, the nurses and the staff of the facilities are coming home to their families using public transport, generally uh, not, not isolated from society either. And so there are multiple vectors coming and going as well. You know, reading uh, some of the stuff in your piece uh, and the stats and everything, and there's another piece, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, I don't know if this came out today or yesterday. Uh, Spotlight PA has a extensive piece on how the government has just absolutely f- failed the uh, nursing homes and contributed to the deaths. And this is just Pennsylvania, but is also New York. But anyway, uh, just reading what you wrote about n- nursery homes in general, uh, as not necessarily as it's related to what's going on now with the coronavirus. Uh, some cases it would seem that uh, putting uh, someone in a nursing home is a death sentence, maybe a, a, a long, drawn-out death, and maybe not necessarily uh, a, uh, a miserable death as far as suffering, but there, it's not a healthy place to put anybody. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, it's basically the people that go to nursing homes are people who are generally in really, really bad shape uh, towards mm-hmm. the end of their lives who need a lot of assistance. People go to nursing homes quite generally because they're often too sick for their family to look after them. Like, I mean, the, they do actually need nurses uh, generally, uh, like a, a large period of the time of the day, like four hours of personal care a day. Like, that's really beyond most families, even with, with best well in the world, to to dedicate right. that amount of the time to look after an elderly relative, and often like. Uh, they, taking care of wounds, uh, like giving uh, medication, um, and, and, and deal, dealing with, it with a lot of uh, personal needs that are really quite acute. So, I mean, like, for a large, a large amount of people in, in nursing homes, they really aren't in, in a good situation to begin with. So you would think that health experts would be aware of this, uh, you know, uh, during a pandemic, and uh, would have spent a little bit more energy and money focusing on them and some, instead of some of the other things they're focusing on. And, and yeah. as I said at the beginning, uh, that I think that's going to. You can disagree, but uh, just get your take on. It. I, I think uh, when this is over, that's what uh, that's going to be the maybe the number one topic is focus, energy, whether it was misplaced or not, and and what happened with the nursing homes. I think that's going to be the big story. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, th- I think what we sort of have really the politics of this situation is that all the pressure is on how do we get everybody back to work, and that that's totally understandable and a good thing. And and that kind of thinking about the trade-off between getting everybody back to work and keeping everybody safe has caused us to sort of ignore the nursing homes because 
this isn't a population that's going back to work anytime. And so this is almost a side issue from from the what from the economy point of view. But then it, it also is just like insofar as we really want to deal with the health situation and like prevent people dying and like keep people safe, we have to really uh deal with the nursing home situation. And there is a benefit economy-wise to it because if we do a better job of keeping nursing homes safe, then we don't have to shut down the rest of the economy to keep the hospitals uh, free of all these coronavirus cases. If we, if we keep the virus out of the, out of the nursing homes, we can keep the elderly out of the hospitals as well. And that, that's maybe a more useful way to think about it. And we, but we were told before, as this thing hit uh, and it got serious... That was all about, I mean, we were told it was flattening the curve. That seems to have gone away. But we were, we were told about, uh, we were given uh, horrifying numbers of uh, projected deaths. And it was all about proje- preventing death, really. Uh, but in Pennsylvania right now, 68% of COVID-19 deaths have been in nursing homes. Um, and the people who run them are blaming the government for doing uh, too little too late. So uh, when this is over, uh, it's hard to believe that that's where the focus and the blame will not be uh, on, on what the government didn't do for people in nursing homes because they're basically almost the only people who are dying. Yeah, I think the, the, the interesting thing is the, there's actually a lot of differences between states in that respect, and I think, so I live in New York, and New York was definitely the state that got blindsided by this. And, like, a lot of people died in New York that aren't in nursing homes because people didn't know the disease was out there. People weren't, like, uh, like being careful, socially distancing, and, and taking their own measures to avoid the disease. But the states that have been affected later on have got a larger amount of people, a larger share of people that have died that are in nursing homes. And that's because everybody else has sort of taken the steps that are precautions that are necessary to avoid the disease to a great extent but the folks in the nursing homes haven't been able really to be protected in any way and and they've really been sitting ducks to to this whole situation so i think we it does really sort of uh illustrate the differences between those two different types of states the states like new york that were hit right at the outset and, and, and before anyone really knew how to protect themselves and the states that have been hit later on uh, uh, like in more recent weeks, where it's the nursing homes that are really uh, taken the heaviest blows. Seems like in New York, uh, what Cuomo did was he he thought that he he overestimated the number of hospital beds and ventilators and ICU units and everything that he was they were going to need, and therefore was um, a little bit too willing to send. Um, coronavirus patients back to the uh, worst place they could possibly be sent, which is back with people like them who are the most vulnerable. That seems to me what happened. Yeah, I mean, like there has, I I think in New York, they definitely had these catastrophic projections of what was going to happen with the city. And it it certainly is the case that, uh, I mean, the deaths in New York are way up there with what they were expecting. I, I think probably what happened in, in New York is that a lot of people tried to avoid the hospitals. The deaths has, have been as bad as they were expected. But people, in, in trying to free up the hospital space, they kind of ended up over uh, 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 overcorrecting in that respect. And, and definitely the nursing homes were not a safe place to send people. I, I think it's a good thing that they've eventually corrected this, but in this kind of... A crisis situation. It's been hard to sort of get it right the first time, and, and there's been a tragic price paid for that, certainly in this state. We're uh, talking to Chris Pope. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, also writes for City Journal. That's where his piece is, uh, where the headline says that uh, that nursing homes are the real center of the pandemic. Um, and, and also in Pennsylvania, I saw today, since April 16th, uh, the rate, the death rate has increased 573% in nursing homes, and that's more than twice the rate for the rest of the state. Uh, so April 16th was pretty far along in this thing, and they weren't able to, for some reason, that doesn't seem like they were able to uh, put a clamp on it even, even with when it became obvious that they were the most vulnerable people. Yeah, I think the advice that's even still out there, uh, which is, you know, the standard advice, wash your hands and, like, isolate the facility. Don't 
the train limit coming and going, that's just been an inadequate, really, to secure these places um, because staff is leaving. Um, like the fact that you're not having visitors to, to the home doesn't really change things that much if the staff are coming and going, taking public transport and, and going back and, and living with their families and, and having to move around and go to the grocery store and do everything else that everybody's doing. It only takes one or two people coming in and with, with the disease, maybe not, not even knowing they have any symptoms, uh, not having any symptoms associated with the disease, not knowing they have the disease. That's all it takes to get the whole place infected and, and, and really have a situation that's out of control. And it's scary to think that the people who are supposed to take care of people in nursing homes, uh, they make about twelve seventy-five an hour. What about finding enough people to work under those conditions for that kind of money? Yeah, this is definitely a big challenge. That uh, not only is this the, the bottom end of the wage scale, really, in terms of our economy, but a lot of these people are have kids at home now with the schools closed. Uh, with the with the CARES Act going through, they're essentially entitled to more money staying home to look after their kids, and they would be able to to earn going to work in in this vulnerable environment doing this essential work. And so that sets up a really awkward dynamic for for the staff for them to do the right thing, for them to be able to help people as needed in the nursing home. But the economics are kind of out of whack, really. I, I, this wasn't in your piece, but it's just a question I have, and um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'll throw it at you. Do you have any idea what the profit margin is for the average nursing home? Because a good one can cost five or six thousand dollars a month. Yes, I mean the margins are really, really thin um, because the, for the most part, the, the everyone's kind of being paid by the Medicaid program, which is a real penny pinching program in terms of how much it pays the, the nursing homes. I think over the past 20 years or so, margins have been about one or two percent a year. Uh, so these are not these are not lucrative businesses. It's a very labor-intensive business. There's the, the, the payers are, are, are kind of stretched. You're, you're talking about either like very scanty government uh, public sector budgets for Medicaid, or you're talking about out-of-pocket assisted living payment. Um, is not it is not a lucrative business the way that the hospital industry might be. It's a, it's a very different kind of business. Yeah, and um, what about the the stimulus programs that have been uh, tried so far during this uh, pandemic? Um, enough money going to the nursing homes? So the, it, the uh, we've we've put out two trillion dollars in the CARES Act. Of that, really, a, a very small slice has gone to nursing homes at all. They're still fighting over getting any funds out of this. Um, the amount of the one thing that I, I, I identified in the piece, there was a, an interesting experiment in Connecticut, a nursing home in Bristol, Connecticut, that had been paying its staff to stay overnight, uh, to, uh, to not go back into the community every day, to stay overnight, they used a tiny slice of funding from the, the CARES Act basically to pay them hazard pay to do that. And that's the way that they've managed to avoid having cases. Um, but this is basically one facility that's found a way to use that piece of legislation to, uh, to try and create a new model to keep it safe. Nobody else is really use, uh, using this financial model anywhere around the country. And that's really the opportunity here. It's basically to use the, the, this the loans that are out there under this existing program use these loans to try and help staff to stay overnight in the facility, to not go backwards and forwards into the community, and that creates a model where these nursing homes can be safe. Um, the piece, uh, my conclusion of the piece is really to try and recommend to find a way to have that model expanded so that we can have a similar level of security for, for nursing homes around the country. Hey, Chris, I'm out of time. Great stuff uh, at uh, City Journal. And uh, Chris Pope, thank you very much. Great speaking to Thank you. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Trump is holding a press briefing at the White House to discuss testing for the coronavirus. He says his administration is fighting to protect all Americans. Governor Andrew Cuomo says several regions of upstate New York that have shown progress in taming the coronavirus outbreak 
are ready to gradually restart economic activity by the end of the week. Cuomo shut down the entire state March 22nd as the New York City area emerged as a global pandemic hotspot, but the outbreak has been less severe in the state's smaller cities and rural areas. The governor said three upstate regions have met all the criteria for opening some business activity after May 15th. The Southern Tier, Mohawk Valley, and the Finger Lakes. Major stock indexes erase much of their early losses. Ending mix, the Dow fell 109 points. The Nasdaq gained 71. This is SRN News. Here at Rocket Mortgage and the Rock family of companies, every one of our team members knows a hero. My Uncle Paul, who works long hours at the grocery store to make sure that people can put food on the table. We really want to thank my wife's cousin, Marie, who works so hard as a nurse saving others. Thank you for being a hero in our community, Des Marie. To those who leave their homes to keep us safe in ours, we thank you. From the front lines to behind the scenes, we see you. You're essential every day, and today, you're heroes. We're giving families everywhere a little more hope for a healthier tomorrow. We're sending all our love, gratitude, and hope your way. Here's to all of you. We couldn't be more grateful. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Say, we miss you, Mama. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to thank America's frontline and essential workers with us, visit everyoneknowsahero.com. Quicken Loans, LLC, NMLS number 3030, licensed in 50 states. Each legal entity that identifies themselves as part of the Rock family of companies are separate legal entities with their own governance and management structures. If you're listening to this radio station right now, you're being inundated with information about the coronavirus pandemic. Some of this information is alarming. You need to know now how to protect your family. Every host on this station is here to help. We're here to keep you informed, keep you calm, and most of all, keep you safe. Yeah, there are lots of places to go for information, but there's one place you can always trust. This is it. And we'll never be in lockdown. AM 1250, the answer. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. This is John Samick, owner of Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. All of our cleaning and disinfection services use hospital-grade EPA registered products. Contact us to provide peace of mind for your employees. Demand the yellow van. Call Service Master. This is John Samick, owner of Service Master Greater Pittsburgh. Our specialty cleaning services can provide the peace of mind your customers and employers need as your business reopens. Demand the yellow van. Call Service Master Greater Pittsburgh and schedule a consultation today. This is Dennis Prager, and my friends, they're at it again. The left is doing its best to silence ideas it doesn't like. Hollywood does not want you to see my film, No Safe Spaces, which is why you won't see it on Netflix or Amazon Prime. But now you can watch No Safe Spaces for a limited time at nosafespaces.com. It's time to fight back and protect freedom in America. See No Safe Spaces. It is a great film starring me and Adam Carolla. Go to nosafespaces.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Finally, seeing some improvement on the parkway east with that crash outbound at the Squirrel Hill Tunnel at the Tunnel Plaza. We're now down to just about a minute or so delay from Beachwood Boulevard on up. Now, Bigelow Boulevard in Oakland, that's shut down with construction between Forbes and Fifth Avenues. Road work on the westbound turnpike in the right lane between Cranberry and Beaver Valley. Mount Washington, Wabash Tunnel, that's shut down till further notice. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer, weather. Record-breaking low temperatures tonight. A shower in spots early, otherwise cloudy and cold, with the temperature breaking record 33 last reached in 1976. Low tonight, 32. Breezy and cool tomorrow with clouds and sun, high 51. Wednesday, turning out mostly sunny, high Wednesday, 58. With your Accurate Forecast, I'm Brian May. 
This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. I told you at the, at the top of the show about the plan that the baseball owners came up with today, and it includes games played in home ballparks without fans. Now, I get that people are going to be so sor- uh, starved for sports that they'll watch, and, uh, and I get why people say it's better than nothing, but I think it's going to stink. Uh, you need fans, and I, I don't even want to think about what kind of a mood people are going to be in if after two more months of this insanity, we're still being told that we're not allowed to go to a game. And what we're hearing about sports should tell us what to expect. As I said at the top of the show, this is a pretty good uh, way to measure where we are and where we are expected to be based on what these leagues are planning and what the government and what the health officials are saying uh, teams may or may not be allowed to do. Uh, but what we're hearing about sports should tell us what to expect. But does that mean uh, if there's no fans at sports, does that mean uh, no concerts, no movies? And let's uh, – what about, ta- uh, you know, sports without fans? The NHL still – I don't know what their final plan is or if they have one yet, but they're still talking about finishing the 2019-20 regular season this summer and then having uh, playoffs and a Stanley Cup champion and then starting uh, the 2020-2021 season sometime in December. So that's what they're talking about. But, of course, that would be playing uh, hockey in the middle of the summer in a building with no fans. So I want you to picture for a minute, because they're going to have playoffs, picture for a minute Sidney Crosby skating around PPG Paints Arena with a Stanley Cup in silence. Nobody's there. It's just him and the players, and they're whooping it up. No fans, nothing. And then, you know, go back a few years. Think of Bill Mazeroski uh, in 1960, coming around the bases with that home run, you know, waving his cap in the air and being all excited and coming around third base. There's nobody there, empty, no noise, except the sound of the players clapping and whooping it up. Uh, Sorry, uh, that would stink. And the novelty of having just any game to watch is going to wear off in a hurry. Believe me. And then there's football. And when you hear what Dr. Fauci told Peter King of NBC Sports, you'll get an idea of how far away from normal he thinks we are. Uh, this is uh, this is what um, Dr. King got out of uh, – uh, I'm sorry, Peter King got out of Dr. Fauci. He said uh, – Fauci said, told him football, quote, presents the perfect setup for spreading. Uh, but some games might even feature fans in the stadiums. He says they'll have some version of a football season. Some games might even feature fans in stadiums, but don't get too excited about that Um, because what he says is that um, he says uh, the virus will make the decision for us. He says, suppose you – this is Dr. Fauci now. Suppose you test a team of 53 players on a Saturday night – and four are positive. That's what King asked Fauci. Is there a level at which, and then before King could even finish the question, Fauci interjected, oh, you got a problem there. You know why? This is Fauci speaking now, because it's likely that if four of them are positive and they've been hanging around together, that the other ones uh, that are negative are really positive. The infectious disease expert explained, quote, so I mean, if you have one outlier, only one player testing positive, I think you might get away. But once you wind up having a situation where it looks like it's spread within a team, you got a real problem. you got to shut down. Now, I, just think about it. This is the guy who's advising everybody. And this is what he just said about football. So if you're, if you're thinking, you know, you're getting excited because the NFL uh, released its schedule last week and you're picturing this, uh, yourself watching a Steeler game with fans in the stadium, uh, well, you know, when, when ESPN did their – did their show talking about the schedule. They, they talked about the electric atmosphere uh, that would, that would be a, an, on a Thanksgiving day in Pittsburgh between the Steelers and the Ravens. That's on the schedule. How, how electric would it be with nobody in the building? What exactly does he mean by shut it down? Uh, quarantine the team. That's what King says. Uh, the next two games for that team are postponed. That would be life in the NFL in 2020. So you got that? One player tests positive. One out of 53 players test positive, and uh, you have to quarantine the team. The next two games for that team are postponed. Let me tell you what that that translates to. No football. 
You can't have a schedule where one team is getting ready to play a game and they have to be their their, their next two games have to be postponed you, you, while the rest of the league continues. You you can't do it. It's just insanity. Now uh, this is Fauci again. I think it's feasible that uh, negative testing players could play in an empty stadium. Uh, there will be a, fi- a virus out there, and you will know your players are negative at the time they step onto the field. Uh, so. Uh, it's possible that negative testing players could play at an empty stadium. So you have all 53 players have to be negative on both teams. Then they would play at an empty stadium. You looking forward to that? You think that, what do you think the chances are of that happening? And by the way, uh, college football has 85 players on a team. Um, And uh, this is more of uh, from Fauci and King. And unlike some other sports where the real problem would be all the fans, plus thus fanless events would mostly do the trick, the close contact nature of football makes it particularly problematic, including to Fauci. Here's what he said about the game of of football. Um, He said, this is a respiratory virus, so it's going to be spread by shedding virus. The problem with virus shedding is that if I have it in my nasal pharynx, and it sheds, and I wipe my hand against my nose. Now it's on my hand. You see, then I touch my chest or my thigh. Then it's on my chest or my thigh for at least a few hours. Sweat as such won't transmit it, but if people are in such close contact as football players on every single play, then that's the perfect setup for spreading. I would think that if there is an infected football player on the field, a middle linebacker, a tackle, whoever it is, as soon as they hit the next guy, the chances are that they will be shedding virus all over that person. If you really want to be in a situation where you want to be absolutely certain, you'd test all the players before the game, and you say, those who are, in, who are infected, sorry, you're sidelined. Those who are free, get in there and play. So what does this say about the, uh, the possibility of playing high school football? What are you going to do? How, how, how are kids going to practice you know, it's, it's all about practicing. They're hitting and, and have, having con- – they don't hit as much as they used to, but there's still contact in, uh, in high school football. And the, all those things that he just described of the shedding of the virus, um, that's, that's going to happen in high school football. And what about going to a high school football game in a stadium? Um, you know – uh, everybody going to be six feet apart? You're only going to let uh, a thousand people in, or nobody gets in? How does that work? So then he goes on to say, if the virus is so low that even the, even in the general community, the risk is low, then I could see filling a third of the stadium or half the stadium so people could be six feet apart. Now there, you, now let's just think. This is what these people say, and they say it with a straight face. Okay. They ex- just picture Heinz Field. The Steelers are playing the Ravens on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Thanksgiving night it would actually be. And uh, they're going to let only fifteen or 20,000 people into the stadium, which would be one-third full would be about 20-some thousand. I think it's 65 for football. So you, let's say you have 20,000 people in there. Somehow you're going to get them all to stay six feet apart while they're watching the game. And... Uh, and he says, I mean, that's something that is, again, feasible depending on the level of infection. I keep getting back to that. It's going to depend, like right now, if you fast forward, and it is now September. So he's saying if the things are the same in September as they are now, the season starts, I say you can't have a season. It's impossible. So he's saying if it's the same as it is now in September, impossible to have a football season. Now, I don't know if he's what the, the chances are of it being the same, but he's not exactly the most optimistic guy when it comes to this stuff. I don't know what he's saying about that. But what he's saying is if it is like it is now, if it is as it is now with the, with the, with the virus, impossible to have a football season. Remember now, that's an NFL season. That's a Pitt season. That's a Penn State season. That's an Edinburgh, Clarion, Slippery Rock, Robert Morris, Duquesne season. That's a high school season. That's a grade school season. Okay? That's a junior high season. Um, but I, he says, there's too much infection out there. It doesn't matter what you do. But I would hope that by the time you get to September, it's not going to be the way it is right now. He would hope. So that's uh, Dr. Fauci, and that's your chances of having a football season. And, again, he's saying that when he's talking about having games, testing everybody, having to postpone games if players are negative. Uh, remember, there has training camp. 
before you have a season. There have to be exhibition games. Uh, at least uh, maybe they would curtail the number of them. They would limit the number of them. Maybe instead of four, there would be two or only one. I don't know. But there has, there has to be some kind of a training camp. There has to be practice. And in practice, people are sweating and bumping into each other and, and, um, and shedding the virus on everybody, as he said. So how are you going to have uh, – and the Steelers are supposed to play a game uh, August 6th. They have a game in Canton. In the Hall of Fame game, they're supposed to play the Cowboys. Um, how are they going to be able to be in camp in the in two months from now, a little bit over two months from right now, and be able to practice and get ready for a game on August 6th? Do you see that happening based on what he just said? Sorry, uh, I don't. Uh, and then here's a here's just a little something that I'll throw out at you before I go to break here. This is uh, from a Washington Post story. It says here, Wednesday, I guess that's last week, a heated discussion broke out between Dr. Deborah Burks. You know who she is, the lady with the scarves. She's the physician who oversees the administration's coronavirus response, and Robert Redfield, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. A heated discussion broke out between them. Burks and others were frustrated with the CDC's antiquated system for tracking virus data, which they worried was inflating some statistics such as mortality rates and case count, by as much as 25%, 25%. According to four people present for the discussion or later briefed on it, two senior, excuse me, two senior administration officials said the discussion was not heated. There is nothing from the CDC that I can trust, Burke said, according to two of the people. This is the woman you see out there every day with the scarf, and she's a doctor, and she's been all over the world dealing with this stuff, and she said, this is the quote, there is nothing from the CDC that I can trust. But you and I are supposed to trust it. You're supposed to wear a mask or stay six feet apart from somebody because the CDC says you should. But the doctor who's in charge of telling us what we're supposed to do, quote, there is nothing from the CDC that I can trust. Wonderful. I'll be right back. spending more time at home these days, but somehow the wind and the rain didn't get the memo about shelter in place. This is John Stoggerwald with some great news from Windows R Us Pittsburgh. They've been granted a waiver by the governor to handle any emergency repairs outside your home. If you've had damage to your roof, gutters, siding, or windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can still answer the call. And everything will be handled in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines to keep your family and their employees safe. You may be eligible for free repair or replacement with the area's premier exterior replacement company with over 50 years of home remodeling experience. Visit windowsarustpittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. For a no-pressure approach with no hidden fees and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry, a company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. windowsarustpittsburgh.com. That's windowsarustpittsburgh.com. The coronavirus pandemic has caused a lot of chaos lately. But something good that's come from it all is that Americans are waking up to the fact that we make too many things overseas and are reliant on China and other nations for the products that we need most. Enough is enough. Authentically American is a veteran-owned, patriotic, made-in-USA apparel company. They produce the highest quality apparel you can find, and it's all American-made. While other companies are waiting for their supplies to come in from Asia, Authentically American is still going strong, putting our neighbors to work every day. They also give 10% of every purchase to charities that support our veterans and their families. Use code SALEMPITTSBURG to get 10% off your entire purchase. Don't spend one more dime on products made overseas. If every American spent an extra $3.33 on U.S.-made goods, it would create almost 10,000 new jobs in this country. Shop at AuthenticallyAmerican.us and use promo code SALEMPITTSBURG to take 10% off your entire purchase. That's promo code SALEMPITTSBURG. Where is yours made? It's time to stand with Israel. Sebastian Gorka here, inviting you to register for a life-changing trip to Israel, December 2nd to 11th. Join me, my friend Mike Lindell, and hundreds of patriots on the Stand with Israel tour, a journey to the Holy Land to get first-hand insights into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Register today at sebgorka.com. 
on the stand with Israel tour, history, culture, and faith will converge right before your eyes in a truly remarkable country. I'll take you behind the scenes to explore over 40 iconic sites during an all-inclusive 10-day tour this December. We'll pray at the ancient Western Wall, sail the picturesque Sea of Galilee, float on the Dead Sea, explore modern Tel Aviv, and much more. Best of all, we'll be together with like-minded supporters of the nation of Israel. Reserve your spot today and travel with me on the stand with Israel tour. Visit Seb sebgorka.com and click on the Israel banner. That's sebgorka.com S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A dot com. Go ahead, Amy. I'm listening. Where can I find some hand sanitizer and toilet paper? Did you hear me? Sorry, Amy. I'm a bit under the weather these days. How can that be? I've been practicing my social distancing. Are you kidding? There's no way I can keep six feet away from you. Whatever your hands touch ends up growing all over me. That makes sense. Keeping my phone clean is just as important as washing my hands. Will you please do me a favor and finally get me a phone soap? Without one, I'm afraid it's only a matter of time before I get you sick too. Phone soap is the clinically proven and EPA certified way to clean your phone, watches, and whatever else fits inside. In 10 minutes or less, phone Phone soap cleans using UV light so it won't damage your screen like liquids or chemicals. Phone soap safely kills 99.99% of all germs and bacteria, including the cold and flu virus. It's trusted and used by healthcare professionals everywhere. Demand for phone soap is at an all-time high. Go to phonesoap.com and use the code GERMS to secure a spot on our pre-order list and receive free shipping. Go to phonesoap.com, phonesoap.com today. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show. On AM 1250, The Answer. Here's an interesting uh, piece of uh, coffee that I came across. It's from the uh, Dauphin County Board Chairman. His name is Jeff Hasty or Haste, H-A-S-T-E. Don't know the pronunciation. He, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a message that he released. Uh, and it says, To the people of Pennsylvania, enough is enough. It is time to reopen the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and return our state to the people as prescribed by our Constitution, and not run it as a dictatorship. So he goes on to say, uh, talk about the, um, the the situation in Dauphin County. He says, and this is the this is the uh, chairman, board chairman, writing this. In Dauphin County, our health care systems and hospitals sprang into action and prepared for the worst. Overall, the worst did not come. Some of our facilities had more than 40% of their beds empty, not performing routine procedures. As of this writing, 48% of our 141 ventilators are in use. Uh, six, that's 4% are in use for uh, COVID-19. Six for COVID-19 related cases. 62, 44% for non-COVID-19 cases. And 73, 52% are not in use. So clearly our ventilators are not maxed out. Then he goes on, let's put some of the numbers in perspective. Since Governor Wolf and Health Secretary Levine say decisions will be, quote, data-driven, as of this writing, Pennsylvania has a total of 54,238 cases, or 0.4% of the state's population. Dauphin County has 764 cases, or 0.274% of our population. Pennsylvania has 3,616 deaths, or... 0.028% 0.028% of the population. Dauphin County has 29 deaths, or 0.0105% of our county's population. And here in Dauphin County, 192, 25% of the 764 cases are in nursing homes, while 24, that's 65% of our coronavirus deaths are in nursing homes. If you remove the nursing homes... Uh, cases from the equation, 0.2% of the county's general general population has ten- tested positive. Positive, 0.2%, not 20%, not 2%, but 0.2%. So uh, that's the that's the the uh, county commissioner, board of county commissioners, chairman of the board of the county, whatever it is in in Dauphin County. But Dauphin County, by the way, happens to be where the city of Harrisburg is located. I think they there's some pretty interesting um, proclamations coming out of Harrisburg lately. So I only have a minute or two left here. I don't know which one of these I want to do first. This is a sports one. Uh, I'll do the. Oh, I got two and a half. I'll I'll see if I I see if I have time for this. This is um, 
we've talked about this a lot, the, a case in Connecticut where two uh, biological males running as females set all kinds of state records and, and really uh, did some serious damage to some high school girls who wanted to get scholarships and and uh, worked really hard to become the, the best in track. And they, they these two men, males, actually won everything. But so they're suing. Uh, and the suit's been going on for a while. We've had the people on from uh, Alliance Defending Freedom who's, who's, who's defending these girls. But the judge there says is, is that um, these in, in, in the process of do, uh, seeing this case and overseeing this case, he's told that they're uh, not allowed to refer to the males who dominated them in track as males, not allowed to. They have to refer to them as transgender females rather than as males. And that's that's one uh, bit of stupidity out there. Uh, they're not allowed to refer to them as males, even though they are running as males. And, and they look very much like males when they run. That's one. Here's one that is actually dumber. It's just not sports-related. Women are forced by courts to refer to rapists' preferred pronouns. This is in the U.K. So when women are... Uh, attacked and raped by a transgender woman, which is a man, um, they are not allowed to refer to the person who attacked them in the proceedings. During the proceedings, they cannot uh, refer to them as a man. They have to refer to this person with the pronoun that this person who is accused of raping them would like to be referred to. Um, and uh, if you don't, the judge is going to disqualify you or not, you know, not not uh, treat you as well as he might if you referred to them as she as the person who raped you. You're a woman uh, as a she. This is where we are on the planet Earth in 2020. And if you think there's anything wrong with either one of those cases I just referred to, there's something wrong with you. Talk to you tomorrow. John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.